Well, if you'd like to sit, Julie's going to read for us. The Bible reading is taken from Proverbs chapter 15, starting at verse 16. You can find it on page 626 of the Old Testament in the Pew Bibles. In this reading, the writer outlines a number of characteristics of God, as well as encouraging wise patterns of behavior and actions for all areas of our lives. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of vegetables where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. Those who are hot-tempered stir up strife, but those who are slow to anger calm contention. The way of the lazy is overgrown with thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. A wise child makes a glad father, but the foolish despise their mothers. Folly is a joy to one who has no sense. But a person of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans go wrong. But with many advisers, they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to anyone. And a word in season, how good it is. For the wise, the path of life leads upwards in order to avoid Sheol below. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. Evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Those who are greedy for unjust gain make trouble for their households, but those who hate bribes will live. The mind of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the body. The ear that heeds wholesome admonition will lodge among the wise. Those who ignore instruction despise themselves. But those who heed admonition gain understanding. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility goes before honour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Would you join me as I... Shortly pray before I begin. Father God, would you grant us hearts and minds that are receptive to the message you have for each one of us today and give us the energy and determination to apply what we learn to the way we live and behave. Amen. Well, we come to the 
penultimate in our series on Proverbs with today's title, A Life to Pursue. And last Sunday, Ian gave us this pictorial guide to the book of Proverbs, which divides it into four sections. And today's reading of the second half of chapter 15 is within the largest section, chapters 10 to 29, which we see there contain hundreds of ancient proverbs. And even in our passage, it seems that the proverbs come to us from different directions, right, left, field, in a somewhat haphazard way, we might think. But life's like that, isn't it? It's rarely predictable or well-ordered. We're often faced with demands and challenges that come to us at random and often throw us off course and rob us of our peace of mind. Looking back on my working life in the finance business, I often felt that as I started the day, I was walking into the arena like the gladiators at the Colosseum in ancient Rome, with all the noise and distractions and danger that that would have entailed, though I confess I wouldn't have been in as good condition as they were, or perhaps as well prepared. But it felt like that sometimes, nevertheless, that uh, if you've been to the Colosseum, you come out of that underground tunnel, and you can imagine uh, the, the spectacle, you know, the, the arena, the, the, the sandy area where um, death or danger was awaiting you and thousands of people baying for blood. Um, it wasn't always like that, but often uh, days at the office were. But perhaps it's the same for some of you. Uh, young families, perhaps with children, even getting here on time on a Sunday morning can be an uphill task, can't it? And others of you, of course, with all sorts of challenges to deal with. So we need a store of wisdom to draw upon in each of those situations. And hence the reason why I think Proverbs are arranged in this way to reflect the very mixed bag that is life. So on that basis, let's look at today's reading, one or two verses at a time, and I'm quoting from the NIV. Verse 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. The Roman poet Horace enjoyed his life in the country, away from the pressures of Rome, and what he termed the large inconvenience of wealth. Looking after wealth of the rich, of course, is a task in itself these days, and Jersey has built its main industry on the back of it. But I think we recognise, don't we, that unless wealth, and certainly our attitude to wealth is kept strictly in perspective, it can bring problems, disputes within families over wills and so on. 
And while riches in and of themselves are not condemned in the Bible, the love of money is because it displaces God as the prime object of our worship. And I think for us, it boils down to how we answer that fundamental question in relation to material possessions and money in particular, how much is enough? And it's so tempting, isn't it, to say, well, just a little bit more. Verse 17 reinforces the thought, better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. The story of Daniel came to mind. I guess that King Nebuchadnezzar would have had fattened calves among the many delicacies he and his court dined on. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and asked for a diet of vegetables and water. And he thrived on it. A change of tack again, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. You have only to switch on the news to see the truth of this. Too many angry world leaders causing distress. And also nearer home, the appalling pictures of youths in Exeter the other day kicking a man sleeping rough in a car park. Anger management is a must for everyone. And patience a virtue to be cultivated in our fast-moving world. As Gandhi said, there is more to life than increasing its speed. Verse 19, the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. I sense a movement in our culture away from personal responsibility towards shifting solutions for all sorts of social issues wholly onto government. Wisdom is kind and generous, but it does encourage responsibility in others. Hence the criticism of laziness. No one owes us a living. As Paul reminds us in 2 Thessalonians, If a man will not work, he shall not eat. And he goes on to command those who are not busy to settle down and earn the bread they eat. I personally have always found work a blessing from God, who is himself our example of the tireless worker. Verse 20 Wise children are a joy. Fools think ill of their parents, thus breaking the commandment to honour thy mother and father. Verse 21. Folly delights a man who lacks judgment, but a man of understanding keeps a straight course. We see examples of those in Ottawa 
and elsewhere who blocked roads and bridges with trucks to protest against COVID regulations. But those who are sensible steer clear of such pursuits. Verse 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisers they succeed. They say that everyone has an average of 2.6 blind spots. So it makes sense to seek counsel from others before taking action. The last Turner Prize was won by a pub, described as a place where differences can be managed with humour and acceptance, restraint and tolerance. A place where relationships are nurtured rather than cancelled. Oh, that such a spirit of unity could be more evident in God's world today. Verse 23. The joy of giving an apt reply. How blessed it is to be able to say the right thing at the right time. I confess in my younger days, I would often say the wrong thing and thus commit myself to a regular diet of my own words. But I take comfort that Paul found himself in a similar position. Romans 7. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Verse 24. The path of life leads upward for the wise to keep him from going down to the grave. That speaks directly to our theme today. Wisdom literally being there, a lifesaver. And we see that, don't we, in our society with people who become addicted to alcohol or drugs and how that shortens their lives. Verse 25 The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. Reference here is to the tendency of the proud then and now, as we see, to take advantage of the poor and vulnerable, anyone below them, basically, that they could take advantage of. In Old Testament society, the widow was helpless. With no one to protect her, she could only stand by and watch as her late husband's land was grabbed by bullying neighbours. In Luke 20, Jesus points out the proud teachers of the law who walk about in flowing robes, like to be publicly acknowledged and have the most important seats in the synagogue and places of honour at banquets. Jesus then says, they devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. Such men, he says, will be punished severely. We'd all do well to remember that the Lord is on the side of the fatherless and the widow and treat them accordingly. Verse 26, the Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked 
and for thoughts, our NRSV uh, translation has already said plans. So we can take it that the plans of the evil are hateful to God. Hope, therefore, for the situation in Eastern Europe and a pointer, perhaps, for our prayers that the Lord will frustrate all evil plans before they come to fruition and bring them down upon the heads of those who hatch them. Verse 27, a greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. Now the mention of bribes there implies dishonest gain, and our NRSV translation has unjust gain. A modern equivalent to which, we could say, is lobbying. Last week's documentary by Fergus Walsh about the AstraZeneca vaccine was fascinating. The AstraZeneca vaccine, of course, has been the workhorse of the worldwide COVID vaccination program. And we learnt that the Oxford University team that developed very quickly their vaccine had to seek out a commercial partner that firstly had the ability to make and distribute worldwide the vaccine, but secondly would be prepared to do so at cost because that was their ethos that they thought was the right thing to do in this pandemic and AstraZeneca obliged their dose costs three dollars Moderna's dose costs fifteen dollars Pfizer's dose costs twenty dollars we learnt that nine billionaires have been made through the COVID crisis. And that AstraZeneca vaccine is still not approved for use in the USA, despite the fact that 2.4 billion doses have been administered worldwide. Wisdom comes from the willingness to make and be content with an honest and reasonable living. And to answer that fundamental question, both then individually and in a commercial sphere, how much is enough? Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances, with much or with little. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. An encouragement there for us to think before we speak and say it well. James warns us that the tongue is also a fire. 
And today we can see, can't we, how the tongue has incited hatred and led to the radicalization of some young, impressionable folk to become suicide bombers. We see also the talk of some world political leaders, unreliable, unedifying, untrue. Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Comfort there, I think, given the international tensions we're experiencing at the moment. As we saw earlier, the Lord is always at work, observing in minute detail what's happening in his world. Nothing gets past him. There was an interesting report from eastern Ukraine on the news the other evening when a young Orthodox priest calmly announced that we were witnessing the final death throes of the old Russian communist system of bullying dictatorship, which I took as an encouragement to pray that enough people will seek the Lord in that country to bring about internal and peaceful change and finally free its people from the oppression that they have endured in one form or another for centuries. Now that would take a miracle, wouldn't it? But I don't know if any of you saw the interesting programme I thought on Dunkirk last night. Um, It was interesting that Churchill had only been in power for about ten days before Dunkirk happened. And the last thing he wanted to do was to take the British expeditionary force out of northern France. That would be a defeat, an early defeat. So he wanted them to, uh, to keep fighting. About seven days later, I think it was on May the 26th or 27th, George VI called for a national day of prayer. And there's uh, pictures of Churchill with his top hat going to church, like most of the nation did, to pray about this situation. And immediately after that, Churchill gave the order to Admiral Ramsey to uh, start the uh, extraction of the British Expeditionary Force from northern France. And of course, everyone thereafter uh, thought that Dunkirk, and it was, given the circumstances, a miracle. But it was interesting that the miracle only happened after the National Day of Prayer. So miracles happened then, and uh, I think it can happen now if we pray for it. Verse 30. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Not a lot of cheer or good news about, is there? Uh, But as Christians, we are duty-bound 
to rejoice in our Lord, what he has done for us, and what he will eventually bring to his creation. Verses 31 and 32 tell us that one of the signs of a wise person is that they are teachable. They realize that they don't know it all, and therefore listen attentively and objectively to arguments and opinions that they may not share, and also admit that others are better placed to point out their blind spots. The Lord corrects those he loves, Hebrews 12. Endure hardship as discipline, because God disciplines us for our own good. And finally, verse 33, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. So a reverent, teachable heart open to God is what we need to begin to find wisdom. I close with an observation about the Proverbs that we've looked at today. None of them, you'll notice, are commands because the wisdom they nurture goes beyond providing solutions and requiring rule-keeping. Wisdom is about promoting well-being within the whole of our life and the life of the community in which we live, the feel-good atmosphere rooted in the Spirit of God and summed up in the lovely Hebrew word shalom. Cultivating good relationships with our neighbours, both local and international on this planet that we all share. So godly wisdom, it seems to me, is the path out of this endless round of arrogance, threats, aggression, greed and conflict we see around the world today. But the first step needs to be taken by each of us to seek, take hold of and activate God's wisdom. And then for such influence as we may then have to be multiplied by God as only he can so that the ripple effect of our wisdom in action will spread to bring true peace and blessing as the kingdom of God expands and displaces brokenness and evil with shalom. Amen.